would you say that it is more dedication or discipline about keeping yourself motivated? I would say it's dedication and perseverance over discipline because discipline implies that you're forcing yourself to do something even though you might not want to. Um, And it takes perseverance to have discipline, but I think it's, I think it's the showing up thing that we talked about, like with your training and just, just believing that you can get there. And I know that that sounds like super vague, but I think that mental toughness comes from going outside your comfort zone, from signing up for that race. Like, like you said, Oh, I don't think I could ever do a hundred miler. Well, if you did one, I guarantee you that, and, and you, you train for it. I guarantee you that you would come out way mentally stronger than when you started. Folks, that was Sonia Looney, and Sonia is today's guest on the MTB Tribe podcast. It was awesome to get Sonia on the show. I've been a big fan of Sonia's for quite a while. She is a professional endurance racer. She's a podcaster. She's a public speaker. She has a very successful plant-based Facebook page. She's into healthy eating. She's into getting you motivated. She's into living life to the full. Everything that I know we all want to be able to do. She's her own brand owner. She owns a brand called Moxie and Grit. And she has just released her MTB retreat, getaways, holidays, adventures. There's lots happening in there with them. And I know she'll have more info on that on her own podcast. But before we get into that, cue the music there, dude. To the MTB Tribe Podcast, your, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Welcome, mountain bikers, to episode number thirty-four of the MTB Tribe Podcast. Thanks for being here. You already know who's on today's show, so you will be stoked. You will be motivated at the end of this episode. But I am here myself to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to say a big thank you to everybody that has got involved via social media and to everybody that has purchased an MTB Tribe jersey. Thank you so much and I am sorry but there is no more left at the introductory price but they will be available soon again and I will keep you updated on that when it happens. So thanks so much for your support for the podcast. It is really great. It is awesome to see you guys out there riding the trails with MTB Tribe jerseys on. It just makes my day so, so cool. So thanks guys again. Thanks so much. So Sonia Looney, what a star. You'll find her at sonialooney.com. She's got so much going on at the minute, but we chat to her about everything involved in the competitive endurance scene and she's normally doing races up to about 100 miles very very competitive and some interesting stories from Sonia on that we talk about 
what Sonia does for training, how she keeps training consistent, how she deals with injuries. We go into it in quite a little bit of depth, so it's really good listening. We also talk to Sonia about how she stays motivated and mentally strong, and I know her own podcast is very geared around that, around having a healthy life, just not physically, but mentally, and she's such a good ambassador for that, so we chat to her about that. We also chat to Sonia about the benefits benefits um, of a plant-based diet and why she decided and when she decided to go plant-based and how she feels that is kind of leaking into the industry just not in mountain biking but American football other sports and we also chatted to Sonia about her new brand Moxie and Grit and exciting plans that she has for the future it's a great episode I'm so stoked to have Sonia on the podcast so please welcome Sonia Looney to the MTB Tribe podcast. Sonia, welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. It's awesome to have you on here. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here and to be part of the tribe. <laughs> Thank you very <laughs> much. That's, that's cool, yeah. Uh, so you have your own podcast as well called the Sonia Looney Show, um, and you can be found at sonialooney.com. Your podcast is awesome. I've listened to it for quite a while now. Well, thank you so much. It's been really fun to have a podcast because I get to connect with such brilliant people and talk about things that I'm interested in. And then as an as an awesome byproduct, it helps other people in their lives. And my podcast isn't just about cycling. It's about how to live a high performance life. So all the different elements that you would need or want to learn about. Yeah, yeah, it, it really it really is cool. And your website's lovely and everything else. But we'll get into that a wee bit later if you don't mind. Um now, you're from Canada, is that right, Sonia? Uh, I actually am originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico in the States, but I actually live in Canada in British Columbia because I married a Canadian. Oh, right. <laughs> and really, I just wanted to move for the mountain biking. Let's just let's just tell the truth here. <laughs> <laughs> classic, classic. Now, a uh, beautiful place, part of the world. I've never actually been there. Um, I snowboarded in a, an area called Kimberley. Hmm. many years ago um but a lot of people i've actually chatted to on the podcast are from whistler and it just seems to be if you're a mountain biker you you just kind of gravitate towards there yeah and you know it's funny um there's a lot of great places in british columbia to mountain bike like whistler is great at marketing but really just about any town you go to even a small town has amazing trail riding like really similar to whistler yeah, it definitely, it seems that way. And I've, I've seen a good footage of Squamish and stuff. That just looks amazing there. Yeah, Squamish is my favorite place to ride, and I'm actually going next week, so I, I can't wait to go. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, awesome. And what's the temp like there with you at the minute? What's the temperature? Still snow in the hills? Uh, yeah, there's still a bunch of snow in the hills. Can't go mountain biking yet, but it's it's a longer winter for us. Normally by now we're out on the trails, but yeah, it gets down to about zero at night, and then during the day it's getting up to like eight to ten degrees, but it's still pretty cloudy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, it won't keep you from going out, I suppose. You'll still go out in that. Yeah, I've been riding on the on the pavement with my mountain bike. There's so much dirt on the on the road that it almost feels like riding like a gravel road. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Now, uh, I watched your latest YouTube film, Sonia, and you can sing and play the guitar as well. Let's just go totally off topic. Let's not talk about <laughs> mountain bikes. How did you get into that? You're so good at that. 
Uh, first of all, um, when you started saying that, I felt my stomach start like twisting because I'm super, I'm super like self-conscious about it, about singing publicly. Um, so putting that out there is like a really big deal for me. And I'm always a little bit nervous about it because I'm so critical of myself, but I got into it, um, just kind of randomly. It was about eight years ago where I thought to myself, well, okay, what do I do for fun? I like mountain biking. I like running. I like hiking. I like yoga. What would happen if I couldn't use my body anymore? Like, what would I do? I need to have a hobby that isn't a physical hobby. And I played music growing up. Like I played the flute for gosh, six years, like all through school. So I wasn't afraid to approach music. And I thought, yeah, like I'll, I'll just learn. I'll just teach myself guitar. So I bought a guitar. And the reason was I just wanted to play and sing songs because I just I feel really good when I'm singing. And I feel like it's a great way to de-stress. And like mm. we all do it. We do it in the car. We do it in the shower, hopefully when nobody's listening. <laughs> um, so I just started doing it. And I've written a few songs, which I'm still not confident enough to put that out into the world. Um, but yeah, I, I just really enjoy it. And making music is just the best feeling ever. And you don't have like, I don't think that I'm a particularly great guitar player. I just like to play chords. And I also think that I'm a like, I think I'm an average singer. But just putting it out there helps me push through that that fear of, oh my gosh, what are people going to think of me? Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's on the, the roadway to acceptance of where I am. And it's just really great to share with people that like, look, you can do this too. You don't have to be amazing. You don't have to be Rihanna or like an or amazing, you know, musician. You can just do it because it feels good and it's fun. Yeah. Wow. Well, I was going to ask you if you'd done it just to relax and chill out because uh, quite a lot of the professional athletes seem to play guitar or do something like that just to relax and just to get their head out of training and diet and competition and all that kind of stuff yeah the great thing about playing music especially like guitar not so much or not quite as much but if you're playing like classical music or you're playing guitar a really technical song with guitar with a lot where you have to really pay attention to what you're doing it's kind of like technical mountain biking it, it forces you into the present because you can't think about anything else except for what you're playing and if you aren't present you can definitely hear it because you start making tons of mistakes so i think <laughs> it's a great way to, to rest the mind and it's it's really really similar to technical mountain biking in that regard yeah happy days and I'm happy you're pushing and you're putting it out there and you're doing that because I think it's really important to make ourselves better by pushing through them fear boundaries, you know, and doing something that's maybe a wee bit outside our conference or comfort zone. So it's very good that you're doing that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, awesome. So let's get into mountain biking then. So, Sonia, you're a professional endurance racer. Mm -hmm. so that's right yeah um you're a fellow podcaster you, you do speaking um everything else like that live speaking events so you're very very busy um can you tell us a wee bit about the professional endurance scene um and what that's like yeah it's pretty interesting i think that it's really growing especially internationally um Right now, my main focuses are 160-kilometer or 100-mile mountain bike races, and we have a national series here in the United States uh, for 100-mile racing, so that's pretty cool. And mm. you don't go around in little circles. It's usually two big loops or, in some cases, one big loop, so you really get to have a cool adventure on the bike. 
and stage racing are multi-day races and you guys should ha- be having one in Ireland or maybe you already do so I can come and do one but <laughs> multi-day races are amazing because you get a real experience. You go and you're with all of these people. And my preference are races with, with 500 people or less. Like I've done stage races with 2000 people and I, I don't really like that. Wow. Um, yeah, it's crazy. But with 500 people or less, you really get to know a lot of people really intimately. And when you're at these races, a lot of times everybody's staying in the same place. Sometimes it's in a hotel, but most of the time it's like in a tent or in a yurt or wherever. And you're having these experiences and it doesn't matter what level you are. It doesn't matter if you're winning the race or if you're there just for a mountain bike holiday trying to finish. You're all riding the same course. You're going through the same things emotionally. It does, like it literally doesn't matter how fast you are. And it doesn't matter what you do for work. Like all the external social pressures that you would have at home are different. And whenever you're out on the bike in these environments, people are there because they share two passions. They share or three passions. They share mountain biking, they share pushing their their personal limits, and they share a love of travel. And that attracts a really interesting and great personality and it becomes like a family. And you see mm. people like years later at a different event in a different country and it's just a really great way to to build community and also to ride and race your bike. So are those races, Sonia, are they under any specific banner? Are they under a, a league or anything like that? Or is it just individual races? Uh, I I mean, there, UCI has, uh, there's UCI stage races, but yeah. I don't, I'm not a points chaser. Like I'm not trying to go to the cross country, you know, Olympics for cross country mountain biking. So I don't really chase UCI points. I chase experiences. Mm-hmm. So I look and see, okay, is this going to be a cool adventure? And some, some of the races have really great single track and others are more like dirt road riding, but the experience is crazy. Like you're, you're in Sri Lanka or in Haiti or in Tanzania, like somewhere really interesting where you probably wouldn't go there on your own and you get to see the country. So I, I, I tend to choose races based on the adventure and on the experience. And are the races timed? Are they timed from A to B? Yeah, definitely. And they have like yeah. podiums and leaders jerseys and it, it has all, all the uh, the elements of racing. But I would say that maybe 30 to 40% are there to try to win the race or get a result. And the rest of the people there, well, I guess it depends on what country you're in. In Europe, I feel like everybody is, is gunning for it and they're all there specifically to race. But some of these third world countries you go to, a lot of people are there just to have the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was going to ask you how competitive, if, if you've got 500 people or 1,000 people in a race, how competitive is it? It depends on the race. Like I was just in Spain a few weeks ago for the Andalusia bike race, and it's a six-day mountain bike stage race in southern Spain. And it was incredibly competitive. There is women from – there's like 40, 40 pro women in the field, which is really big for a stage race. And even all the men, even the age group men, like everybody was super fit incredibly aggressive it was it was really different than some of the other races i've done Mm. and was it would you say the majority of people entering it were spaniards or does it bring people from all over the planet uh it was mostly europeans i think that there's only three americans there and typically i'm the only american in a lot of these races so it can be challenging because people don't speak english or and i don't speak I don't speak fluently any language but but English. Like I can speak some Spanish, I can speak some French, I can get by, but conversationally, uh, I'm not not as good in those languages. Yeah, and did you travel alone? 
I did. Yeah. Like sometimes my husband goes with me and I, I really love that. It's really cool that we can share those experiences together. But yeah, I, I've like, I, I did a stage race in the Sahara desert in Morocco and I went by myself and it was mostly Spanish and even the briefing was in Spanish. So it was, it was definitely a challenge. Um, and it does get a bit lonely sometimes whenever you're traveling alone. And I find that as I, as I've been doing this longer, I'm liking tra I'm, I'm not enjoying traveling alone as much as I used to. And I really enjoy having somebody else there. Yeah, no, that would that would make it difficult traveling yourself and taking bikes and everything else that comes with that. Um, how many races would you go to a year, Sonia? Uh, typically, I do four to five stage races per year, and then I'll do I don't know, probably another ten races domestically. So I spend I spend thirty to forty days with a race number plate on my bike per year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, that's a big commitment. <laughs> it, it it is it is but i enjoy i really enjoy it and i i don't actually have to race as much as i do but i just i, I need to stay motivated so i always sign up for races in the winter in another country and i have the luxury that i can go, go away and do that but it keeps me motivated here in canada to stay in shape because i have to be honest when it's cloudy and the weather is bad i'm not really excited to ride my bike so and i, I ride i ride indoors in the winter time so it just keeps me motivated and it, it keeps keeps the dream alive <laughs> yeah yeah um and do the events change country from year to year um a lot of times like the same events they'll just be in the same place every year but i just seek out different events there's so many stage races around the world that i still haven't done them all i've done i've done most of them i would say but I mean, there's just new ones popping up every single year. Yeah, well, it must be getting more popular then. Yeah, it's unreal. I mean, I think that people really want to have these these really cool experiences. And even people who race like cross-country races or, or World Cup cross-country, you're starting to see those people signing up for stage races as well. Yeah, so 100 miles. Ooh, I can't even think about doing that. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's that's pretty insane. Um, I had a gentleman on the podcast before, and he does 24-hour races, enduros, 24-hour enduro races. Mm-hmm. Well, not enduros, but 24-hour races. Um, and he's so laid back, so chilled out, you know, and I was expecting him to be really high-strung and, you know, really enthusiastic, but he was really cool and chilled out. And I asked him, how, how often do you stop? And how long do you stop for? And he says, I, I don't stop. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you don't. I, I did the 24 uh, hour world championships in 2015. And I think I spent 11, 11 minutes total stop time. And that includes changing batteries on lights, going to the bathroom, stopping <laughs> to, to change the food out. If you want to be competitive, um, you can't stop. Like you, yeah. you, you cannot. <laughs> that's exactly, that's exactly what he said. If you want to win, you can't stop. Uh, but honestly, I, I think it's worse if you stop because then you have to motivate yourself to get started again. And let's face it, if it's like two o'clock in the morning and you sit, you get off your bike and sit down, you're probably not going to be getting back up again anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. So what's what's the favorite stage race you've been to so far? Oh, man, there's there's favorites for different reasons. So I would say that my favorite in terms of a pure single track mountain bike experience, those are single track six, which is a BC stage race. And that, that one actually changes location every year. So if you want to come back every year, you can get a different ride experience. Mm -hmm. BC bike race is great, but I I think it's very overpriced. 
And the Breck Epic in the United States is an amazing race. It's at altitude. Um, I used to live in Colorado, so the altitude wasn't a big deal, but now it is now that I live low. The Brazil, the Brazil ride is the, I would say one of the best all around stage races. It's incredibly hard. Like the winning women's time is between 30 and 35 hours in seven days. And the weather is hot. The days are long, but you get a good mixture of climbing and technical single track. And, and I really enjoy the super hard races. So that's a great race as well. Yeah, I think those are my favorites if I had to pick. Um, I did a stage race in Colombia last year called La Leyenda del Dorado, and it's a pretty new race. This year is its third year, and I believe they moved it. It's going to be the first week of August, but there's not really there wasn't much single track, but from an experience perspective, being in Colombia was one of the most amazing experiences I've had because the people there are cycling fanatics. Like You'll finish the race, and there'll be literally a 1,000 people that came out to watch, and I just never had that experience before. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, cool. And Sonia, how did you get into this? Like when you started mountain biking, was it was this a goal for you? Was this one of your end goals to, to try and achieve? Uh, you know, no, it wasn't. And it's really funny if you think about goal setting in your life. A lot of times the longer term goals aren't exactly what you set out to do. They they often evolve over time because our perception of what we're capable of changes as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I got into mountain biking when I was 20 years old. I'm now 34, but I wasn't a cyclist growing up. I didn't even know that cycling was a sport. And I would see people riding bikes occasionally and wearing neon. And I, I thought they were just these crazy dorky people on road bikes and spandex. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I thought, oh, I never want to do that. But I wanted to run a marathon when I was 18 and I had just started running. So I started running and I'm kind of an all or none personality. So I signed up for a marathon straight away, trained for the marathon, um, did it, wanted to do another one. But I just kept injuring myself because I didn't know anything about endurance training. I was doing way too many miles. I just I wasn't doing it right. So I was going to spin class at the gym for cross training. And there are some guys at my work, and I was working as an intern in uh, in an engineering research lab in in Albuquerque, and they invited me to go mountain biking. And I think I think something that's really important in our lives is to be open to new experiences. So I, at the time, I had never been mountain biking. I didn't even know really what it was, but I knew there was something that looked like a mountain bike in the shed at my parents' house. So I took the bike. And it was like some, probably like a Walmart bike. <laughs> and <laughs> I went mountain biking on it. And I, I did my first race two weeks later. Wow. And, and from there, I just, I was all in. I, I fell in love with it. Yeah. And were you nervous going out the first time? Ironically, I wasn't. I, it's really bizarre. Like, if I think back, I, I just, I, I was just so excited. It didn't matter. Like, I wasn't there to to have some high expectation. I didn't put pressure on myself, which... It's very strange to think of that now because compared to today, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Yeah. But I mean, it was just amazing. And it was, I felt like I had finally found my people. I never fit in anywhere growing up. I was never a popular kid. I just always felt like I was a black sheep. And when I went to my first mountain bike race, I, I literally felt like I found my people. And that was an amazing feeling to feel like I belong somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, how long have you been um, racing endurance now? Yeah, so I've been racing endurance since about 2009. So I started racing, I think it was, yeah, 2003. I started as a cross country racer and 
it didn't go very well, to be honest. Like I wasn't an amazing racer. It was easy to become a professional rider to get that upgrade, um, you know, on the world scene. But I just was always a mid pack pro rider when I raced cross country. And my first year as a pro was the hardest because I moved to Colorado and I lived there for eight years before I came here. And Colorado is a very competitive place. It's where all the best riders in, well, not all, but a lot of the best riders in the United States live. So I would just get crushed at like the weekly races. And I was so hard. And at that time I had very high expectations. I was very hard on myself and I actually would like cry in some of my races because I would be so disappointed in myself and so worried about what other people were going to think of me. And it was a really important thing to happen. It was important to go through that because I, and it's, 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 it's something that I always have to work on is realizing that I am still a valuable and lovable person if I'm not number one at something. And I think that a lot of times in our lives, we tie our self-worth to our results and especially people who quote are overachievers or type A personalities. So that's something that I learned really early and it was a difficult lesson through mountain biking. And I've, I've really been loving mountain biking because the more I do, the more I learn about myself. And I think that that self-awareness and turning inward is so important for us for just having meaning in our lives. Yeah, no, certainly. And I know by going through your website and, and listening to your other podcasts, you know, that angle of things means a lot to you. Um, and a, a lot of your, your life and your experiences is based around that. Um, so you found that in mountain biking, which is really awesome. And a lot of people that get into mountain biking and you know it's weird i done a search not so long ago and the number one reason for people to start mountain biking is to get out in nature mm-hmm. um, and i think it changes people quite a lot when they start mountain biking you know you never meet anybody that mountain bikes and doesn't enjoy it um so it's really it's really interesting that it sent you down this this route of the endurance race and and, and what what you do now and and what your life is now and do you contribute a lot of that to mountain biking? I do. You know, initially, I, I, I definitely contribute it to mountain biking because mountain biking and just endurance sports in general gave me confidence in myself. Like growing up and in high school and stuff, I was incredibly insecure. Everybody picked on me. I it just it just wasn't a good situation for me. It, it wasn't fun. And it wasn't until I found running that my life started changing. I found running my senior year of high school. And that gave me confidence in myself because I was doing it solely for myself. I wasn't doing it to impress other people. I wasn't doing it to be cool. I was just doing it because I wanted to do it. And I think that it showed me that I was more capable. Like I had achieved a lot as a student and band and all those things, but that didn't give me confidence. It was endurance sports that gave me confidence in my life. So yeah, I attribute that to to running early on and to mountain biking. And now because of the things I've been able to do, in mountain biking, you prove to yourself over and over that those that thing that you think maybe you can't do or that you're unsure of, if you work hard at it, you're you can get there. Like that technical section that you wanted to ride or that hill you wanted to get up with you wanted to ride up without having to stop and walk. It, we just proved to ourselves over and over that we're capable of these things. And I think that, that that shows in all places of our life and it helps us become better people and just helps us live to our potential more. Yeah, I love it. It's awesome. It's awesome. Um, so, so do you tell us about some of your um, results in your race career? 
Um, you mean like what place I came in races? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. What's what's been your best result and and how are you getting on? How are you how are you feeling? You're getting on now. Uh this part I, I don't really like talking about my results. Just I I don't know I. I I don't like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like you have to own your successes, but I'm not, I don't feel comfortable doing it. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think my like best result on paper is probably winning the 24 hour world championship. That was wow. pretty cool. And I, yeah, I've won like 25 plus races at, around the world and some big UCI stage races, some, some small races. I've set some course records for hundred milers, um, yeah, if people want to look at my results, I'd say just go to my website, sonyaluni.com and it's, I think it's under the about page, but yeah, cool. Yeah. It's interesting because it used to be that I raced because I wanted to get results. I wanted to win races. I wanted to prove to myself and to other people that I was good going back to that original comment I made. Mm-hmm. But over time, like now that I've won a lot of races and I feel like I don't need to prove myself anymore as quote, a fast racer. So my why behind why I race has been evolving and it was it was interesting because it happened right after I won 20 it was a 2015 24-hour world championship. I thought to myself, well, I've won lots of stage races, I've won this race. Well, now what am I supposed to do? Like what what where do I go from here? And that's when I had to reassess why I race and it's because it it really helps other people. It's it helps me be of service to other people because I get to share and, and I love sharing very personal things that I go through in each race. And I think it helps people feel not so alone to be vulnerable and to show weakness and to show that we all are having a human experience. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, no, very good, very good. Can we talk about training? Sure, let's talk about training. Yeah, so how often do you train then? Uh, I Is it train. a daily thing? Yeah, I typically train six days a week, but there are times when I won't train as much. So I'm just coming off of, uh, and I, I, it's it's still hard for me, but a re- like a hard rest period. So I went to Spain. I did the six-day race. Um, it was a nine-hour time change. I came back, and on the trip home, I got sick from the plane, so I got like a sinus infection. Um, I've been home for about a week and a half, and I'd, I struggled with recovering from the jet lag. I, my body just... I would go on rides and just feel absolutely terrible on my bike. So I didn't ride very much the last little bit. I'd say like not even every day and the rides were super easy pace. Like anybody could pass me if they wanted to. And it's hard because I, and I work with a sports psychologist and we talk about this regularly that social media and seeing what everybody else is doing. Sometimes it makes you feel like a slacker and it makes you feel like less than. And my body was crying out to me saying rest. And I was, and I I definitely respect myself whenever I need the rest, but it's hard not to feel less than when you look at everybody else who it appears that they're just having the most amazing time training and they're kicking butt and they're strong. And you're sitting on the couch, just like, Oh, I, I, I think I'm losing fitness or I don't know what's wrong with me. And like, I'm tired. So yeah, I think that it's important to realize that perception our perception when we look at what everybody else is doing isn't necessarily the truth so Mm -hmm. so yeah i train i typically train six days a week um the intensity varies and there there are times where i'll take like three or four days off if my body needs it and i think that people train too much like i don't think we need to train people think you need to train 20 hours a week to be fast and you don't like you can be fast training 10 to 12 hours a week if you have quality Mm -hmm. training yeah, so you don't you don't stick to a certain routine as such. You just kind of 
do what you're, you're you feel like doing or your body feels like you can do yeah and and yeah so i don't work with a coach because the most interesting thing that i've really been paying attention to lately as a, a busy body type person is that if you're working extra hard it's going to take away from your training like mental mental fatigue translates to physical fatigue. And I, I'm reading this great book. The book is Endure by Alex Hutchinson. And I'm actually interviewing him on my podcast next week. But there's like a lot of studies showing that. So if you're working really hard, like I have all these other projects I'm working on that I love. Like I love my podcast. I just launched my own lifestyle brand called Moxie and Grit with like fun socks and other designs that is just getting up and running. Mm -hmm. And these things all take energy and they do take away from training. Like if I only trained, I think I could train more and I could, I could have more energy for that, but that doesn't bring me joy just riding my bike all the time. I love doing all these other things too, because it keeps my mind engaged. So I think for, for everybody out there who's listening, like most people work and I'm, I'm a professional athlete, I'm fully sponsored, but I still choose to work and do other things other than just ride my bike because that's what makes me happy. So realizing that, okay, like family life, that takes energy. Working takes energy. Though all that stupid to-do list around your house, <laughs> all those little things that you haven't done yet, that takes that takes mental energy. So it's important not to beat ourselves up when you're doing all these things and then you get on your bike and you just wish that you felt better. But if you're doing lots of other things, you have to respect your energy. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, I was going to ask you about that, about how much training is a mental thing as well. Um, you know, for example, if you arrive in an event or, or something like that and you had a really good training period beforehand, do you think that fills you with confidence going into that race or that event? I do. I, I think that the confidence comes from the preparation. However, there's been times like a great example is last year. I had like a six week period where I was basically too busy. I couldn't really train. Um, I was training seven hours a week and I had a big race, the Transylvania Epic coming up. And I was freaking out because I didn't feel like I did the work and I didn't deserve to have, have any fitness because I didn't do the work. But because of the years of training and racing, I still had the fitness and I showed up and the, the first day was a bit hard to get the body back into it, but I, I was winning the race. And it just shows that it can be in your head that, oh, I'm not prepared, but the fitness can still be there, even if you don't think you have it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And what do you think the most important thing about training is? Do you think it's to be consistent? Yeah, I do think it's to be consistent. I think it's to show up. Um, it doesn't have to be. I, I think that the biggest mistake people make with training is that they go out and they ride as hard as they can every single time. And I see that because people invite me to go riding and we go ride and the pace is just so hard. And I don't, I, don't, I typically don't ride very hard because you can't, if, if you want to build, build a proper system for racing and for, for being at your fittest, you have to spend a lot of time riding at an easier pace, like a five out of 10. And I think most people go out and they ride at a seven out of 10 all the time. And basically what that does is it just tires you out. You're not building a strong aerobic system like you could if you had your easy days are easy and your hard days are hard. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Let's chat about accidents and recovery and, and that kind of thing, Sonia. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I know you have, you have a bad back at the minute, don't you? Uh, it's kind of like glutes and TFL. So... It doesn't happen often, but sometimes if I come back from a race or a heavy training period and then I'm not moving my body nearly as much, like 
I wasn't stretching at all. I was really tired. Um, I wasn't riding my bike very much. So it was a problem. And what happens is if you're used to a high level of activity and you stop, your body freaks out and it tightens up. So it was, it's like tightness in the glutes, tightness in the hips, and it causes all these trigger points cause referred pain. And it feels like burning sensations and it like wakes you up at night and it's terrible. But anytime you're having pain, like from training or for whatever, I really strongly believe in, in self-care. So like going to the chiropractor, going to the physio or physical therapist, getting massage work. And I, I just did like two days of doing that and I'm already feeling a lot better. So just taking care of your body and realizing that the things we're doing to our body require additional maintenance. Like if you drove your car a lot of miles and you drove it hard, which is what we're basically doing to our bodies, you'd have to change the oil more frequently. You'd have to give it a little more TLC. So we need to do yeah. that with our bodies as well. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, we, we don't think anything about sending our car away for an MOT, but we don't MOT our bodies that often. Yeah. Like there's weird. no better, there's no better investment you can make in taking care of yourself. And, uh, in Canada, massage is really expensive compared to other places. It's like 105 to $110 an hour for a massage. Whereas like in Spain, it's 40 bucks an hour in the U S it's like 70 bucks an hour. Um, so sometimes it's hard for me to spend the money, but then I have to remind myself like, this is my body and I only get one and this body mm -hmm. enables me to do a lot of great things. So I better take care of it. Yeah. And one thing I'm, I'm really interested in and, it's something I'm sure yourself as a professional athlete goes through all the time. We, we touched on it a wee bit there earlier. It was about how to know when you need more recovery, you know, and when to just say no and, and how to regulate that. How, how do you actually go about that? I think this is an interesting question because sometimes it's hard to tell if you're just not motivated and you're being lazy or if you actually yeah. need to rest. So I, I say that always get started, like get on your bike because that a lot of times laziness and lack of motivation can be, can be beat if you just get started. And if you get started and you still feel bad after like 15, 20 minutes, then go home because there's no point in flogging a dead horse. It's not, you're not going to get faster. If you're, if you're fatigued, like if your body hurts, if your, your legs are hurting so much uh, and you're just riding easy down the road. That's a that that means you need to rest. And like as my husband says, when you're tired like that, it just means you're still getting faster. And the only way to get faster is to rest. So if you have doubt in your mind, if you're out riding and you ride regularly and you feel tired, and it's it's hard to do this, been hard to be objective, but just turn around and go home or just ride super easy because you're you're gonna dig a hole. And I've dug a lot of holes for myself over the years. <laughs> And I think that's something that people have to learn on an individual basis, like where their line is of when they need to rest. Yeah. Yeah, because it's that old thing, isn't it? Pain is pleasure or, you know, you push through the pain barrier and all that. And yes, I understand you need to you need to be trying your best and pushing that wee bit harder to get better at certain things. But I remember this is just a wee personal story of my own and katrina my fiance always laughs at me about this when i go to do something i go 100 percent, and it's just my personality and the first time i went to go and do yoga with her <laughs> <laughs> i was trying all these moves that people have been doing for years and i actually injured myself going to <laughs> yoga <laughs> 
I don't think I could walk straight for about two or three days after that. <laughs> um, and I was just over pushing it. You know, I would feel something being stretched too far and I would just try and stretch further, you know. Um, and I think a lot of people do that. They over, they just do too much, you know. Mm-hmm. And they just don't allow themselves enough time to rest. Do you find a lot of your competitors would be like that? You know, I, I don't really know, um, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I would assume that my competitors are smart about their training, and it, it doesn't seem to me that they are, like, crazy and overtraining. I see it more in kind of the weekend warriors because you're trying to make up for lost time or you simply just haven't spent the time doing the research or having the personal, the personal hell of digging a huge hole. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's just paying attention to your body and learning what the, what the signals are that something is wrong. Like for me, if I'm extremely fatigued, like this is, this means I've gone too far. I can't get my heart rate up. My heart rate is super low and my legs hurt really bad. And my heart rate is like, is like 120 and it shouldn't be hurting at 120. So that's a sign that, okay, now we actually have to go home and maybe spend two days resting because we overdid it a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And would you mind telling us about, about that hole you dug? Uh, which one? Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, on, well, it's, it's honestly been a while since I've done it, but basically it was like from training specifically, the holes were dug because I was doing too much intensity and I wasn't recovering in between workouts enough to do the next workout. And to be honest, this hole was dug while I was working with a coach, which is why I don't work with a coach anymore because almost every time I've worked with a coach, it's dug a hole for me. <laughs> Not every time. Um, and this isn't the case for every person, but it's, it's about knowing your body, right? And whenever you sign away your, your body to somebody else and you're putting all your trust in them, it can be hard because, again, they don't realize what external inputs you have in your life. They're just assuming that, okay, like you might have all these things going on, but we don't actually know how much it's fatiguing you. So the whole I dug was doing too much and not resting in between workouts and then just continuing to keep going, even though I knew that I needed to rest. And I think that when we take on too much, and I'm guilty of this in general, like if you look at all the different projects I'm doing, I take on way too much. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why am I doing this? Why am I riding extra even though I know I shouldn't be riding? Like you have to start peeling back the layers a little bit and finding out what is driving that. And I think that can help put on the brakes a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a wee bit about motivation and being mentally strong would you say that it is more dedication or discipline about keeping yourself motivated? I would say it's dedication and perseverance over discipline because discipline implies that you're forcing yourself to do something, even though you might not want to. Um, And it takes perseverance to have discipline, but Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's the showing up thing that we talked about, like with your training and just, just believing that you can get there. And I know that that sounds like super vague, but I think that mental toughness comes from going outside your comfort zone, from signing up for that race. Like like you said, oh, I don't think I could ever do a 100 miler. Well, mm-hmm. if you did one, I guarantee you that, and, and you, you train for it, I guarantee that you would come <laughs> out way mentally stronger than when you started. Or like for me, like putting out a, a song on YouTube that I sang and play on my guitar, that's another step in mental toughness of 
of doing that thing that's a little bit uncomfortable and being okay with it and saying that discomfort isn't bad. Um, this feeling of slight anxiety that what am I getting myself into? That's okay. Because whenever you start doing that, you learn how to manage your emotions and your expectations along the way, because it doesn't always go the way that you want it to go. But mental toughness is built on experience. So if you're not putting yourself in situations where you're going to have these experiences where things are going to be a little bit dicey, touch and go for a while, then it's going to be really hard to build mental toughness. So that's why I love these types of events that I choose. I pick the hardest races because they make me so much more mentally stronger than everybody else. And in that race I did in Spain, the last three days, it absolutely hammered rain. It was crazy, the amount of mud and rain. And everybody was just completely distraught by the weather. And because of my previous experiences, I was actually like, I literally, I wasn't faking it. I was having a blast. Like I loved it. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. and that's mental toughness. That's, that's like saying, well, you know, it could be worse. I could be camping in this weather, which I've done before (laughs) and in a leaking tent, like, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So it's, it's just built upon other experiences that you've had. So that's why I think it's important to to push yourself because that's where it comes from. It's like training your mind. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've seen images you put up on your social media covered in mud with a thumbs up and stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. And yeah. I was, like, so happy that happened. Like, it made the race more fun for me. It, it, I wasn't having fun until it started raining, until things, like, got really dicey out there. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe there's something wrong with me, but... It just, it's because it made it an adventure. Like, cause before it was just like a hammerhead race, which that's not really like my favorite thing ever. I like, I like hammering. I love like just absolutely throttling myself, but I also like having an adventure and that made it feel like an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. It looked like an adventure. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Sonia, I want, I want you just to tell us about maybe a low moment you had of motivation because I remember listening to one of your podcasts and, and you've done it with your husband, and I think it was just round, round the kitchen table or something like that, and you had been lying on the sofa for quite a while. There was a race coming up, and I think you were, you were struggling with motivation because, like you said before, of all the social stuff that was out there from your competitors doing this, training that, training that, and you were lying on the sofa quite ill. Can you tell us about that time and how you got over that? Yeah, that, that was tough. So... Uh, as a professional athlete, I try and avoid sick people. Like I, it's crazy. Like I avoid family. I avoid if if someone's sick, I don't want to be around them. But unfortunately, um, on Christmas, everybody was sick and we like, it's Christmas. What are you going to do? Like tell your family, see you, I'm out of here. So I got the flu from spending time with family who was sick and I was sick for a month. And this was supposed to be like a really key time to prepare for my racing, And I was also supposed to go to Chile to do one of my favorite races. And because I was sick and and my husband, Matt, got sick as well, we had to cancel our entire trip. So that Mm -hmm. part was like, oh, this sucks. And, oh, I was supposed to use that as training because I can't really ride outside. And that was my chance to train. And knowing that my preparation wasn't what I wanted it to be. And that was for this race in Spain. And I wasn't as fit as I wanted to be. Like, that's that's fine. Um, But it's really hard in those moments because you feel like you're not good enough. You feel like you're not doing the work. You feel like there's no way that it's going to work out. And 
I think that the key is just realigning your expectations, like resetting what you expect out of yourself and accepting what's happened because you can't change. You can't change it. If you're sick or you're injured or say you got really busy at work, like in in Matt's case, like he gets busy at work sometimes and he'll miss training. It's accepting that and and not beating yourself up and just telling yourself repeatedly, I'm going to show up on race day. I did the best job I possibly could have done given the circumstances that I had, and I'm going to do my best. And that has to be good enough. And that's a really, really hard thing to do. And I have to honestly say that I don't always execute that perfectly, but that is the mindset that I have and that I strive to have. So that's how I, I did that. And there's also anxiety, like before the first day, your first race of the year, or maybe it's like every race this happens to you. You don't know where you're going to stack up. So there's that feeling again, am I good enough? How, like, how am I going to do? I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and there's anxiety around that. And again, it's coming back to focusing on the things you can control and telling yourself you did the best you could with your preparation and you're going to just show up and you're just going to do the best you can. And you, no one can ask any more of you from that. And if it's not what you want it to be or what other people think it's supposed to be, then you have to accept that. Yeah, and I, I love that podcast episode because it it was a really good insight into personally what you were going through and it's you know and it wasn't all glitz and glamour and everything you see happening on social media all the time you know um it was really personal and do you think having the right type of people around you helps in times like that definitely like yeah it definitely helps and i'm really lucky like my husband matt is the most amazing person he's the most supportive incredible guy that i could ever ask for to have around me and you the people that you spend time around you you want to spend time around people who are positive and supportive but people who are going to be real with you like you don't want people just saying all the time oh it's going to be fine it's going to be fine like it might not be fine and you want to be able to be real with that so yeah I think that putting people around you who are positive and supportive it helps your mind your mental space and people that are accepting and love you no matter what like it's amazing knowing that no matter what, even if I suck, even if I fail at everything, that my husband is still going to be there for me. And he still loves me. Like, I don't have to be the best. He'll still love me if I'm not. And sometimes that's hard to believe. <laughs> and that's my own issue. Like, literally, that's my own personal personal issue that I'm always working on. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah awesome. Um, so let's chat a wee bit about your website and, and podcast and blogging and speaking and everything else you do. Um <laughs> You are super busy. You have a lovely website um, and everything on there, including your podcast, etc. I, I love your slogan. I love your homepage slogan. <laughs> I want to show you how to live better, be brave, and accomplish more. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very, very Thank good. Thank you. <laughs> um, so when did you start the website, and, and what kind of made you want to do this kind of youpreneur type thing um, as well as your racing career? Well, it's really funny because... I started a blog back in 2007 and my website has evolved a lot over the years. So I started a blog because I thought to myself, well, I'm having these cool like race experiences. I'm racing around Colorado. I want to tell people about it and I'm just naturally extroverted. So I would just like write stories about my races. And actually I think I started a website even before that. Cause I started it. I started one when I still lived in Albuquerque. Um, so I was, I moved away from there when I was 22. So 
yeah, like 2004 probably, or no, even before then. So I remember I, I, I was I was an engineer and my office mate knew how to do HTML coding. And this was before like you could actually just have a plug and play blog. So we actually did HTML code for this website. So I started my first website way back then because I loved it. And over the years, it's just evolved, like writing about my my experiences or writing about some of the products that I got from my sponsors because I liked it. And I didn't do Google Analytics. I didn't know that, like in 2007, that people actually read my blog. And I went to my first sea otter and people started coming up to me saying like, wow, I love your blog. And I'm like, how are these people even finding me? Like, why do these people even, why are these people even paying attention to me? Like, this is awesome. And from that blog, I was, um, I got to race for a really cool team called Topi Gurgon. And they asked me to be on their team because of a review I wrote on my website. And they, so many people clicked the link that the company contacted me and said, hey, we want you to be on our team. And they also gave me a job doing doing sales and marketing, like building the brand in the United States. And I did that for wow. five years. Yeah. So like the youpreneur thing, I'd say that it really more took off in the last four years for me because I was doing I was doing freelance writing because I needed to make my team wasn't paying me any money. Um, there was no entry fees covered, like nothing. It was just here's some free product. Go use it. But I wanted to travel. I wanted to do things. And I had to find a way to make it work because I wasn't making much money. So I started and I knew that I was a good writer. So I started pitching stories to magazines and making money on the side and then telling races that, hey, I'm going to write for a big magazine about your race. Can I have a free entry in exchange for the exposure? So that's how I started stage racing was finding ways to create opportunities for myself. So that's like step step two to the youpreneurism. And from there, um, you know, social media has grown a lot in the last eight, eight, seven, eight years. So starting to build social media community and that just kind of happened. It, it wasn't something like now I think it's really different. Like we're trying to build our Instagram following using like hashtags and trying to use strategies to beat the algorithm. But back then it was just posting stuff that I thought was cool um, and not caring about that. And it was, it was great because people were actually following what I was doing on social media and I quit my job about four years ago because I had sponsors approaching me that conflicted with the team I was on. And I couldn't accept those sponsorships because it was a conflict. So I had to quit the team, but more, more, uh, scare, more in a more scary way, I had to quit my job because the job and the team, I couldn't work for the company and race for a different team. So it was a massive risk because I had a job that gave me the flexibility to train and race and do the things I wanted to do. But I had outgrown the position and I had outgrown where I was. So I had to take that leap. So I thought, well, um, I, I'm just going to write all my own sponsorship proposals and see what happens. Like, hopefully I can make some money doing this, but I never have before. And I decided that the best way to write a sponsorship proposal was how am I going to bring value to this company? It's not about my race results. It, that, that's not what sells products. Um, it's about how am I going to integrate this brand into what I'm doing? And I was able to, to like learn how to write proposals, negotiate proposals, and actually get enough money to, to live and to race. And that was a huge surprise because I didn't think that, I didn't know what would happen. Um, and from there, it just, I, I'm addicted to helping other people and putting out messages in the world that make a difference. Like that is my why, that is why I get up in the morning and that like, if, if it wasn't doing that, I would have to do something else. So that yeah. that is what drives every single little business venture that I have, and 
and I, of course, like I have to make money to live, but I'm doing this because that's what makes things, that's what makes it worth it to me. Yeah, no, certainly. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people appreciate that and that's why you have such a good social following and, and things like that. Um, and then your podcast as well. So why did you decide to start the podcast then? Well, it was really interesting. So about a year and a half ago, I had foot surgery and like I literally couldn't walk for a month. I had to lay on the couch for a month and, and not use my leg. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was so tired from the surgery, like just the fatigue from my body trying to recover was insane. So it wasn't very hard to lay on the couch, but my <laughs> getting back into it, um, I had to do a lot of road biking. I wasn't allowed to mountain bike and I actually hate road biking. So <laughs> I had to figure out a way to make it interesting. And I, someone was recommending that I do listen to audiobooks. So I found this great book. Um, a friend recommended it called Finding Ultra by Rich Roll. And he just released a new updated version of it. And Rich Roll is an inspiring guy. Like he basically was an alcoholic, kind of super unhappy in his life. And he found endurance sports and plant-based diet. And it changed his life. And now he's an incredibly prolific podcaster and writer and ambassador for just living an amazing life, living to your potential. So I really loved his book and the book, um, led me to his podcast and I had never listened to a podcast before. Like I thought mm -hmm. podcasts were just music. Like I used to listen to Tiesto's club life and that was the only podcast I listened to. <laughs> yeah. So I started listening to his podcast and I was like, this is amazing. And I, I binge listened. I listened to tons of episodes and then that led me to other podcasts and I started listening to other shows. And then I thought to myself, well, I'm already a speaker. I already love talking about all these topics. Um, I have people that follow me because they, they want to get more information on all these different things. And I know a lot of cool people. So I'm just going to start my own podcast and see what happens. And yeah, it's been amazing. And it took me, I'll be honest, it took me like three to four months to actually get started because it's intimidating. It's like the microphones yeah. and the equipment. And I decided straight away to hire a producer because my strength is not doing like the tedious audio engineering to get a podcast sounding amazing. So I hired somebody straight away and his name's Roma and he lives in the Ukraine and he's amazing. He's like a great guy. Um, but the podcast, it's funny. It used to be people would say, I love your blog. Then it was, I love your Facebook. Then it was, I love your Instagram. And now it's, I love your podcast. So it, it's really cool to create content that people can really connect with and to know that it's working. Yeah, no, certainly. And when did you start the podcast? I started it in May of last year. I actually started mine in late the last weekend of September last year. Awesome. How are you finding podcasting? Yeah, you know, I really, really enjoy it. And the reason why I enjoy it is because I get to speak to people like you. It's crazy. Like you get to just like have a it conversation is. with somebody like for an hour that you don't even know. And it's fun. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I've only been mountain biking for three years. Um, it's a long story. I get into it due to knee rehabilitation and, and stuff like that. But um, if you'd asked me, you know, six months ago, if I'd ever been speaking to somebody like yourself or I just had Brian Kennedy on. Oh, yeah. Know, um, you know, and I was speaking to Brian last week and stuff, I would have said, not a chance. How would I ever get a chat to them guys? But the podcast is just so good. It opens it opens doors for you, you know? It does. And yeah, I can't say enough good things about Brian. That, that He's an incredible yeah. guy. I had him on my show a while ago, too. He's he's great. 
yeah, he's he's so cool. What you what you see on the videos is what you get. It's so true. Series. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, yeah, he he is he is brilliant. Sonia, tell us about your speaking engagements then. What kind of stuff do you normally chat about and, and where do you go to do that? Uh, it, it really depends. I mean, I love talking about all the, all the like how to be happier, how to set goals, how to be motivated. I like telling stories from my adventures and then translating that into daily life, like how, how, to, how, to, how to be better. Um, I also talk about plant-based nutrition. Like I've spoken at some, some conferences about that. The cool thing about speaking is that I've had the opportunity to speak at like entrepreneur conferences and tech conferences and stuff where people don't even ride a bike. And the Mm -hmm. interesting thing is even though I'm not really talking about cycling specifically, I'm just using it as a storytelling vehicle, people actually get interested in cycling. So yeah, I haven't been doing as much speaking this year because it requires a lot of travel and my travel schedule is pretty much maxed out. But I, I love speaking. Uh, my next speaking engagement is local, and it's next week, and I get to speak to a big group of women about about how cycling changed my life. So, yeah, I think it's a pre- awesome. it, it's just like podcasting on a much smaller scale. You get to talk to people, and um, I just I love human connection. I love like seeing people's faces when I'm talking to them. It's 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 not something that makes me nervous. It's something that energizes me. Yeah, brilliant. No, and. It seems to be very popular, really, the, the, the speaking engagements now. Um, people seem to really, I don't know, just just connect more with with their audience if they're there. And I think for your fans, meeting you and all, it's something really cool. Yeah. yeah the, the hardest one I did was the TED Talk. I did a TEDx Talk. And I'm not a memorizer. Like, I have key points that I know I want to talk about, but I don't memorize word for word because I feel like I'm acting and I'm the worst actor ever. So it was hard because I li- like they want you to send them pre-recorded things of you like practicing your your talk to make sure that you're doing oh, really? it. Yeah, like there's wow. there's a set there's a lot of rules, like a lot wow. of rules. And it, the hardest thing was yeah I had to memorize it, and then I was super worried that when I gave the TED talk that I wouldn't be um, as animated or as genuine as I normally am because I had to memorize it, and. I was able to draw energy from the crowd, but something that's really interesting, you have to stand in the red dot. Like you cannot leave the red dot. And the one thing that I would say that I that I didn't do well in my TED talk is I didn't talk with my hands. And I'm super animated. Like even right now, my hand is going all over the place, like because I'm gesturing <laughs> and and I'm not. There's nobody around. But in the TED talk, my arms were just like at my sides because I felt so constrained from like having to memorize and having to stand in this red dot. So if you guys are ever doing a TED talk, um, make sure to talk with your hands. <laughs> <laughs> and and were you and when you got up on stage, were you allowed to go off script or did you have to stick to your script? I uh, know, you, like you're supposed to stick to your script. Like you're not supposed to to deviate from what you what you said you would do, because they have a brand. Wow. Like TED is a brand. So if you yeah. start deviating too much, you might not fit their brand anymore. And that's what you agreed to do. So I'm sure that people deviate a little bit, but generally um, they encourage you to be mem- fully memorized. That's really interesting. Now, let's let's ch- chat a wee bit about your plant-based diet. Um, and I'm going to be a wee bit selfish here because I've just started mine. Oh, cool. I've been on it about a week and a half now. And I, I've been a vegetarian for about oh, six or seven years, maybe. Mm-hmm always with the idea of going vegan uh-huh. and then i listened to your podcast with um 
Chef AJ. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And it really got me thinking. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to do this. So I've been doing it for about a, a week and a half now. Um, but I'm interested to know how long you've been eating a plant-based diet. Uh, almost five years. It's crazy. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, but I didn't tell anybody about it until last year because I don't, I don't like labels and, and I, mm-hmm. I was like afraid what people would think of me and I was afraid people would think that I was judging them and that I was like crazy and strict and all and rigid and all this stuff. Um, so yeah, I wrote a blog post about it about, about a year ago and yeah, I, I love it. Like, and I'm, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be hundred percent vegan or plant-based, but I think that once you start down that path, you actually realize that, Oh my gosh, like I really like this and the food's really good. And this is amazing. And you want to, you end up wanting to go. So when I started changing my diet, I said, well, I don't know if I'm going to go hundred percent because I'm an athlete and I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'll just like start eliminating things and I'll have like a certain percentage of my calories from animal products and a certain percentage from plants. And eventually I just like phase everything out and, and I love it. And like, there would be the odd time where I'd have meat or dairy or something and I wouldn't like it. Like it was weird. I thought that I would like it. And it's just like a past memory that you're, that you like this and then it just wouldn't taste good. So, um, there's a lot of flavor in plant foods. It's, it's the best possible thing you could put in your body and you will get enough protein and nutrients and iron and all that stuff as long as you're eating a whole foods plant-based diet, meaning you're not eating all the processed foods. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I'll tell you what made me actually do it. Um, Well, I became a a vegetarian just because of animal rights, and and that was my reason to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was then, I was at a mate's house, and he was sitting eating a bag of crisps, right? Like a bag of cheesy ringles or something <laughs> <laughs> and it said on i just noticed and it said on the back of them suitable for vegans and i thought <laughs> <laughs> i thought well you know i want it to be vegetarian because of animal rights and everything like that but i also wanted to do it to be healthier and how can you be a healthy vegan and sit and eat crisps so there's obviously a lot of unhealthy vegans and vegetarians out there. And then I heard your show with Chef AJ and I thought, that's the way for me to go. That's the way to do it. But what made you take that step? What made you go down that route? Honestly, it was when I met my husband. Um, The man has had a lot of influence in my life. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I met him at at a bike race, actually. And he was like, oh, yeah, like, I'm a vegan. And he had this, like, giant plate of, like, beans and rice and vegetables. And I looked at it like, ew, like, what the heck is he eating? And, oh, no, like, not another vegan. Because I was living in Boulder. And I just had a negative lens of what a vegan was so I thought oh and then he's like you should really check this out and I was like I'm not I'm not doing this but he told me why he did it and he said well there's this documentary I watched called forks over knives and it's really important um it it prevents and reverses heart disease It, it, it prevents cancer it prevents Alzheimer's like it can cure autoimmune disease or or at least make them better like you should check out this documentary and I'm really stubborn, so it took me about six months before I actually checked out the documentary. And mm-hmm. I, the next day, I was I was in. I was I said, if this is true, this is insane. 
and th- again, this is five years ago before, like there's been a, an explosion of documentaries and in, in, in more information and research since then. Um, but yeah, like I love being alive and I want to be healthy when I'm old. I want to have a long health span. I want to be like 80 and I still want to be super healthy. I want to live to a hundred in a healthy way. And we can do that. Like we're in control of that by what we put in our mouth. So that was my motivation was, was health. And I, I highly recommend you guys check out Dr. Michael Greger, nutritionfacts.org. Um, he does tons and tons of, re- of, of reading all the research out there and presenting it. His book, How Not to Die, is great because it has 15 chapters on the 15 top killers of, of people and what you can add into your diet to help prevent those things. So like, if you don't want to, if you don't want to give up your cheese or whatever, like, I think you should, I recommend you should, but if you don't want to like no judgment, but add in some stuff, add in ground flax, out in hibiscus tea, add in arugula, like just start adding stuff in. And sometimes it crowds out the bad. So, so yeah, I think that for health, that that's the main reason. And I feel really good. Um, there's this company last year that I was doing some work with. It's called inside tracker. And basically what they do is they take your blood and they basically tell you compared to athletes, what the normal levels are of like where you should be with all your vitamins, minerals, blood cell count, all that stuff. And they told me that I did four tests. Mine was the best they'd ever seen out of any athlete ever. And they recommend, wow. yeah. And they use diet to, they recommend like eat more of this to improve this. So yeah, like you can be incredibly healthy eating a plant-based diet. <laughs> it's good for you. Yeah, yeah. And initially when you went on it as an athlete, as a professional athlete, were you concerned about performance levels? Uh, when I first started, I was. But I mean, if you feel sluggish as an athlete, it's probably because you're not and you're eating plant based. It's probably because you're not getting enough calories, um, especially if you're eating like whole foods, because, yeah, like it's lower in calories and because there's no crap in it. <laughs> But Mm -hmm. yeah, like eating a plant-based diet, it's the most anti-inflammatory diet you could possibly eat. It's an alkaline diet. So when your body, like if you're eating foods that cause inflammation, your body has to, has to deal with that. So it's not going to recover from workouts as as well as it could. And if you're eating acidic foods, it's, that's also not going to help you with recovery. So your body has more energy and you're, there's less inflammation because you're not eating things that cause it. So therefore, you know, it can, it can divert its energy to helping you recover from workouts and it improves your blood. It improves blood flow. Like you're reversing the plaque that starts building up as early as age 10. Um, there was people from the Korean war, like young boys, age 20 who had died and they, they did autopsies. And this is in the podcast I did with Dr. Esselstyn. And at age 20, there was already signs of heart disease. So you can reverse that with your diet. So better blood flow, better blood pressure. Like you can be a, a, an athlete and still have high blood pressure, like you'll improve all of these things and all of that improves how you perform as an athlete as well. Mm. And do you see many athletes changing to vegetarian, vegan, plant-based diets? I'd say in the last year, I've seen a lot. Like in the United States here, a lot of the NFL players are changing their diets. Um, I've, I'm yeah. seeing, yeah, everybody's starting to change their diet, which is is really cool to see that. Um, and also uh, I'm just going to invite everybody here and, and you included, if you're not already, I have a Facebook group called the plant powered tribe with Sonia Looney and yes, I'm a member. Yeah. I'm, I'm signed up and it, it's not like a place for dogma. It's just like <laughs> a place where people can post recipes or like ask questions. Like someone did post like, Hey, I changed my diet. I'm, I, I don't feel good. Like what, what's going on here? 
and like a bunch of people were chiming in and helping. So it's just like a place for the plant curious <laughs> and just to share mm-hmm. information and motivation because again, it's about surrounding yourself with people with similar values, doing the same things that you are. And if everyone around you is asking you like, why are you doing that? And they're not supporting you, but it's what you really want to do. It helps to have other people around you that you can at least mm-hmm. talk to about it. And you know, it's funny because when I initially turned vegetarian, um, all my buddies and all the surf buddies and all are all meat eaters. And, uh, you know, I thought, uh, you know, I'm going to be on for a better flight here, but isn't it, isn't it so cool that when we're maybe going out to watch a movie or something and we're going to have food beforehand and they're checking out where to go and eat, they all, you know, and I've heard them saying in the other room just while passing, no, but you know, there's not enough vegetarian options on there for G. Let's look at somewhere else. Isn't that so cool? That is cool. And it's cool that they know like what to look for too. Yeah. You know, so I think it's fantastic. And actually a couple of my friends have now become vegetarian since I, awesome. since I went veggie veggie. So yeah, it, it's, it's really cool. But now here's a question for you. Are you going to treat yourself to a chocolate Easter egg? Oh, I still eat chocolate. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> yeah, I, I love dark chocolate. And in fact, um, there's this chocolate bar that I've currently discovered. It has like entire giant chunks of sea salt. So it's hard because I have to limit it. It's like I only get two squares. I don't get to eat the whole bar. But yeah, uh-huh. I, I still have treats. And I, I yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's important yeah. to have treats. Yeah, you know, because I'm kind of following Chef AJ at the minute, and she's hardcore. She's no sugar, no, sugar. no salt, no oil. Yeah. You know, um, it's tough, but here it's good. I'm enjoying it so far. So I'll not. I'll keep on. I'll keep on the on the trip. I'll not complain. Yeah, and Chef AJ's thing is like, if you have a food addiction, which most of us do, not it's not mm. like clinical, but if you're craving something, it means you're probably addicted to it. And I, w- I will say that I, I do have an addiction to like chocolate and sugar and I don't crave salty foods or oily foods. Like that's just not something that I, I crave, but the sugary stuff like cookies and brownies and chocolate. Yeah. Like it probably would be good for me to cut that out, mm-hmm. but I, I, I I'm not ready to do that. <laughs> I'm not prepared to give that stuff up and I don't think it's causing a problem because I'm able to moderate it. Yeah, and it's funny because what what Chef AJ said on your podcast really struck a note with me um, and that she says, you know, are you the kind of eater that if you have one donut, you end up eating three? And I would be very like that, mm-hmm. you know, so I have an issue with sugary donuts, especially, um, well, we're big, you probably won't believe me, but we're big football fan, NFL fans here. Huh? There's three or four of us that are big American football fans, and we would do a Sunday evening, and it would just be full of rubbish. <laughs> and we, you know, we would just eat so much rubbish; it's unbelievable. But um, I've caught myself on this past season and started to do a wee bit better. But um, yeah, I, I'm like that. I'm very addicted. Like that, I would, you know, I couldn't just eat one and leave it. I would have to eat two or three, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. I know that's how I am with that's how I'm with cookies. Um, like if I have them in the house, if I make them, it's incredibly hard for me to stop. So yeah, like I just don't have them in the house. If I want a cookie, I'll go to the coffee shop and like there's this vegan Mexican chocolate cookie that I love, so I'll get that. But I won't have it in the house because I will eat three or four chocolate chip cookies. Like that is my <laughs> kryptonite. And like the other day, my friend invited my friend invited us over for dinner and she asked me to make dessert. So I made something that I would never make at home. 
and and keep and I made these like vegan chocolate cinnamon rolls like it was or Nutella wow. cinnamon rolls it, so it wasn't real Nutella I had to make it but I made the dough um, I made the filling which was like ch- uh, chocolate chips and almonds and almond extract and cinnamon and brown sugar and like I made these and they're incredible so I ate one at her house and then I gave the rest away and it was hard for me like wow. I felt my heart break a little bit giving them away <laughs> yeah. yeah sneak them out of the car like just it's like just get these away from me because I do not want these in my house. Yeah, well, it is crazy because the first the Monday I started and went plant based, Katrina, my fiance, says I'm away over to my mom's to make um, cinnamon rolls or cinnamon swirls, and she says you go come over and keep me company, and I says you got to be joking. Me. <laughs> you're asking me over to keep you company when you're making them on my first day. Yeah, I'm an addict. <laughs> Put food in front of a hungry man. <laughs> uh, so I've kept you long enough. Let's talk a wee bit about the future, Sonia. Is it true that you're working on a book at the moment on plant-based food? Uh, it's not necessarily on plant-based food. It's just going to be kind yeah. of my story. Um, oh, I still okay. I still have to finish my proposal. I'm really I was really focused on launching my brand Moxie and Grit, moxieandgrit.com and right now we just have one sock design out, but there's going to be one new sock design per month. So that's out, that's up and running. The podcast is is moving along. Um I have this is um I haven't officially launched this yet, but in October I'm doing my first mountain bike wellness retreat and it's going to be in Bend, Oregon, so stay tuned to hear about cool. that. Um, so yeah, the next, the next focus, when you have lots of projects going on, you have to pick and choose what you're going to focus on. But the next focus is going to be writing a book proposal, which is, it's a hard thing to do because you have to write every chapter, you have to write a description of every chapter, have your outline and write at least one sample chapter. So it's going to be a really big job, but I'm excited about it because I love writing. I think this is the next step in what I need to do in my career. And I think that I have a lot, a lot to say that's going to be helpful and interesting. Yeah, no, certainly, definitely. And what about travel? Where are you traveling to next? Where's your next race? Uh, most of my races in the next little while are in North America, so like California, but um, the next California and BC. But I actually just signed up for a race in Japan in May, wow. and I've never, wow. I've never been there. I've always wanted to go. And my good friend Yuki Akeda, we've raced as teammates. We've been on the same team. Like we met in college. He used to live in Colorado, but he's a Japanese guy, and now he lives in Japan. So he's always trying to get me to come to this race. It's a 100K race. It's the biggest race in Japan. So he's like, hey, you want to come over? And I, I was like, uh, okay, I'm in. And so I just – and he kind of – I was kind of like waffling a little bit, and he said, okay, well, I booked your lodging. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I need to buy my plane ticket. So, yeah, that's my next big race. But the, the next, like – adventure like major adventure the japan one will be an adventure but the next stage race is going to be in poland in july called the sudity trophy and i'm so excited i've never been to poland i have no idea what to expect and i know the trails are going to be like muddy and technical so that's going to be awesome wow yeah that that's good and is there anything mountain biking goes is there anything on on your bucket list you would really like to do or achieve um I, I don't know. Like there's lots of races that I still am interested in going to, but I kind of feel like I, I've done the bucket list. Like it's kind of a weird, a oh, weird wow. thing. Yeah. Cool. Like, of course, like I want to go ride in Tasmania. I'd love to 
like do the Arizona trail race, which is a 750 mile self-supported mountain bike race. And you have to like hike your bike across the grand Canyon. Like, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. like, there's little, there's like, well, they're not little, but there, there's like adventures on my list, um, that I want to do, but it's, it's pretty cool. Cause I, I'm just, I'm doing all the things that I want to do. And I'm so incredibly fortunate and lucky and blessed that I get to do what I want to do in my life. And it's taken, it's taken steps and, and risk and hard work to get there. But every day I wake up and I just say, I'm so like, not every day is amazing. And some days are really hard, but I'm so lucky that I get to live this life. And I just hope that other people are open to trying new things because if I had never said, okay, yeah, I'll go mountain biking. I would not have this life. So it's just so important to do those things that, that you, to just try things. Cause you don't know where the road's going to lead you. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. It really is. And, you know, if I hadn't started mountain biking three years ago, I'd never be doing this podcast. So how crazy, you know, you just never know. Yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah, yeah. So how can people find you, Sonia? How can people best keep keep up to date with what you're doing? Yeah, go to my Instagram. It's I'm at Looney Sonia. I'm, I'm super active. I respond to every message and comment if you ask questions. I have a Facebook page, um, Sonia Looney. I got a Twitter uh, go to my web. If you go to my website, sonyalooney.com, there's like links to everything, links to all the social media, links to my podcast, which I'd really appreciate it. If you guys listen to it and subscribe to my show, that would be awesome. Um, there's a contact form on my website as well. So I'd love to hear from you guys. Like I, I really enjoy hearing from the people that are like reading my stuff or listening to it because again, connection is one of my really important core values. And I want to hear from you. Yeah, and and of course I'll stick all the links and stuff on the show notes so people can can easily find you and, and figure out what what uh, adventure they can find you on next. And, <laughs> and <stuff>. Awesome. <laughs> so it's cool. So Sonia, listen, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, it's been great to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and yeah, you're a great great interviewer. I really enjoyed chatting with you. And hopefully I can make it to Ireland to uh, the, the the endless winter in Ireland. But I I, I seriously have yeah, always wanted it. to go to Ireland. So um, hopefully someday soon I'll I'll go and maybe you can take me for a ride. I definitely like you know the the mountain biking thing's really getting popular here now with lots of trail centres opening up and yeah it's it's really it's a real exciting time to be involved in mountain biking. Awesome. It really yeah, it's really growing, especially because people are like road riding it's dangerous. It's, it's really dangerous now with mm. like distracted driving, like crazy. So I think more people are turning to the mountain bike. Yeah, no, it's cool. And, and it's nice again. What I would never really, well, what I prefer about mountain biking is you're out in nature, you're out around trees and forests, you're out, you're away from traffic. You don't hear traffic. You don't breathe in fumes. It's just healthier for you, I think. Yeah. And you get to connect with nature. And I think that that is super important for our mental health. Definitely. Well, Sonia, thanks again. I really appreciate it. And I hope everything goes well in the future and you get over your lower back issue and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, thanks a lot. (laughs) All the best, Sonia. That's a wrap for episode number 34. And Sonia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed chatting to you. And um, I know you're doing so much there with your own stuff and your own podcast and your own brands not alone your professional endurance racing so you are super super busy Um, so i really appreciate you coming on that's great and folks if you want to know more about sonia and you really do to be honest just visit sonialooney.com you will get all the info on sonia on there from her podcast to her new brand 
and I know her new mountain bike retreats, which are pretty limited for spaces, so you would need to contact her and chat to her about that if you want to go that way. Sonia is also very active on social media, takes great pride in getting back to everybody and really creating a community there, so get in touch if you want to have a chat with Sonia. I'm sure she would appreciate that. So folks, thanks so much. If you enjoyed the show, please visit mtb-tribe.com. You will get all Sonia's links on her episode there. And you can also subscribe to the show via there. You'll get emails every week just letting you know who's coming up on the show, what to expect, and the odd little insider email now and then but you won't get bombarded by emails so folks if you're listening to the show via itunes please leave a review i would really appreciate that five stars obviously is the best way to go isn't it and share with friends too is always always great it's good to get more people involved in the show and if if you share it in itunes and you and you rate it it gets a better chance of being seen so we're trying to build a, a mountain biking community here and with your help it can happen so thanks very much for doing that if you listen via stitcher thank you so much it's also available there and you can also follow us and get involved on the old social media instagram is at mtb tribe and facebook is mtb tribe so thanks again folks thanks for being here thanks for downloading the show if you want to know anything else please get in contact you can do that via the website and have a great day have a great weekend enjoy the bikes enjoy getting out in nature and give Sonia a hit up. Check out her stuff. It's really, really good. Until next week, folks, have a good one.